Lots of great things going on. So this morning, uh, we are jumping back into the book of Acts. We've been going through the book of Acts, and uh, we've got another pretty big section of Scripture that we're covering this morning. Uh, if you have your Bible and you want to follow along or on your phone, we're going to be in Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19. And we're going to go all the way through chapter 12, verse 25. Um, this is sort of, uh, as we've talked about the book of Acts, uh, we saw in the very beginning of the book of Acts, like Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and just before he ascends in Acts chapter 1, he's reminding the disciples of uh, their mission, what he has commissioned them to do, and he tells them, uh, that I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to come with power, and you will be my witnesses, meaning you will tell people who I am and what I've done. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the way the book of Acts is written is sort of that unfolding, Right? We, we started in Jerusalem, and we saw the Holy Spirit come, and the disciples were his witnesses in Jerusalem. The church got its start. We see it move and grow, the church move and grow out from uh, Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. And, and last week, as we, as we saw, um, still in the region of Judea, we, we saw the amazing story of Cornelius and the gospel going really for the first time known to the Gentiles. And with that, the stage is now set for this, this third chapter, this third part in the book of Acts, and that is for the gospel going to the ends of the earth. So we pick up in chapter 11, verse 19, and Luke is describing what's going on in the church and in the world just before this, um, this explosion of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Um, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So before we jump into this, um, chapter 11, verse 19 through 12, 25, I want us to pray. And as I do every week, um, I really want you guys to pray with me. It is a, a beautiful privilege that we have to pray together. Um, God hears our prayers, right? Do you all believe that? Right? So then if, if God hears our prayers and we are invited to pray, then, then, then why would we not take this moment to pray together? Um, to, to admit our own need for God to do something great, to teach us, to encourage us, to bring conviction in our life. We need God to do what only God can do, and that is to shape us into the image of Jesus. And so this morning, um, will you pray with me that God would do all of that in our midst, that God would shape us into the image of Jesus, encourage us, convict us, whatever it is that we need. Would you pray that with me? Yeah, good. Father, we, uh, we do come. Um, what a privilege it is to pray and uh, that we can, we can all pray right now and you hear our prayers. And Father, we believe that you answer our prayers. And our prayer this morning is that, uh, that you would do in our midst what only you can do. Holy Spirit, be, be mighty here uh, among us. Uh, bring conviction to our lives where our lives need to be um, shaped more like Jesus Bring encouragement to us this morning, encouragement in, in the way that you're working in our lives, the way that you're working in our church, the way that you're working in, 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 in middle Georgia and beyond. Encourage us, encourage us in this um, amazing and beautiful story that you have invited us into. Father, help us. We, we really are 
needy, and um, I, I know that the words that I have, that I've prepared, um, they are powerless apart from your spirit. Uh, so spirit, be here and be great for the good of your people and uh, Father, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so uh, the first glimpse that we get of the church um, in this section is that the church was continuing to grow. Again, Acts chapter 11, verse 19 through 12, 25. The church is beginning to grow. And when I say that, um, the church is continuing to grow out. It is expanding outward, but the church is also uh, growing up and maturing. So before I read the verses or we start going through these verses together, I, I want to ask you if you would listen and follow along as you read with a mind toward noticing uh, the three identities that we talk about a lot here at New City. We talk about the fact that in Christ we are made new creatures, new creations, right? The, the, the good news is not just that we are saved for one day in the future, but here and now, right now, God, through Christ, has changed us, made us new creatures, and given us a new identity um, in Christ. In Christ, we're made missionaries. Uh, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. The Great Commission that he gave to those first disciples in Matthew 28 is ours. We are his sent ones. We are missionaries, ambassadors for Christ. We are also family, right? We are missionaries. We are, we are family. Uh, we are family not only reconciled with our Father, God, but reconciled to one another and made brothers and sisters in Christ. And then the third identity that we have in Christ, this change, we have been made to be servants. We have been made to be servants. Um, we are being shaped into the image of Jesus. Jesus said he came to serve um, and, and not be served. Jesus came, the Bible tells us, as a servant. And so as we mature and grow in Christ, um, I, I, I say this often, the mark of our maturity is not necessarily how many Bible verses that we've memorized or how quickly we can turn to a passage. The, the true mark of our maturity as we take on the image of Jesus is, is, is how much of a servant are we? He has made us to be servants. So being in, in, in his image or shaped into his image, we have these new identities, the same identities that we see in Jesus himself, family, missionary, and servant. And the way that we say that here at New City is that we are a family of missionary servants. We are disciples who make disciples. All this flows out of the gospel work in our life, Jesus not only redeeming us, but changing us. So now, let's get started. Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19. First thing we see in these verses is the church living in their identity as missionaries. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenist also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. 
The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them, exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Okay, so in this first section, we're talking about missionaries. At New City, I refer often to the Great Commission. In fact, I have already this morning. I probably will again. Um, But to the Great Commission, and that was in Matthew 28 when Jesus was getting ready to leave his disciples, and he was telling his disciples what they needed to do in his absence. Jesus said to them, as you go, as you go about your life, disciples, Make other disciples, make other disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is, sharing with them who Jesus is, leading them to trust in Him, have faith in Him, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. This was His commission, His walking order for those disciples. Here's what you do in my absence, right? You will be my witnesses, telling people who I am and what I've done, leading them to faith in me, to trust in me and who I am and what I've done, and then you'll teach them to obey everything that I have commanded. What we see in the book of Acts right here, just in those verses that I read, is that happening. The church, the people of the church, they're doing what Jesus commissioned his disciples to do. And what I love about it here is that the people who are doing this incredible work as the gospel is pushing further and further out, they're just unnamed, ordinary people. That's who's doing it. Right? Barnabas was sent to see what was going on, but what was going on was already going on before Barnabas got there. Barnabas went and got Saul and brought him over to help with things, but what was going on was already going on. The church was doing the mission that God had called them to do, and it was just average, ordinary people who had been commissioned by Jesus as missionaries, and they were doing exactly what Jesus said that they should do. And we read here, um, as they went, telling other Jews about Jesus, that a great number of people turned to the Lord. They were making disciples as they went. So, I mentioned this, but but they go and they get Saul, right? They're they're making these disciples. They go and get Saul. Saul was a converted uh, Pharisee, and uh, he shows up with them, and he spends a whole year with them. And what is he doing? He's teaching them. He's teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. They're doing the Great Commission, right? We make church so complicated. Here it is right here. What are we supposed to do as a church? This is it right here. As you go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that He has commanded. This is what we do. At New City, the way we word that is that our mission is to help others live in light of the gospel. And this is what we mean. Our mission, when I say our mission, I don't mean the institution of the church. I mean you as New City partners. 
Your mission as a part of this church and as a part of the kingdom of God is that, to make disciples as you go. Make disciples and teach them um, what it means to love and follow Jesus. That's, that's what they were doing. Just what Jesus had commissioned them to do. They were missionaries on his mission. And, and what I want to say about that is, is, is that they, they, they didn't do these things in order to be missionaries. Jesus said, um, you are missionaries. The way that Paul describes it in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, I think it's where it is. 2 Corinthians 5, he says, you are ambassadors for Christ. Therefore, do what ambassadors do. Right? The identity comes first. You are missionaries recreated in the image of Jesus. You are missionaries. Now go and do what missionaries do, and, and that is to make disciples. That's what the first church was doing. As they went, they were making disciples. As they went, they were being his witnesses wherever they went. As they went and people came to faith, they were teaching them more and more what it meant to love and follow Jesus. And guess what was happening? The church was growing. The church was growing. Now, um, verse 27. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. Let me pause right there. All right, they're going to they're gonna take up this money. It is relief because a famine is coming, and who does it go to? Verse 29, it goes to the brothers. The brothers. You could read that as brothers and sisters. Brothers, brothers and sisters, I ask you guys this question often. Brothers and sisters who share the same father, they make together what? Family. Right? That's, what, that's what they are. They are family. And so what's happening here is a need is arising within the family because of this famine. And there were certain parts of their area of the world that were, were harder hit than others. And because this need was there, they share this need with other members of the family. And the family steps in to meet the need. Because that's what family does. The New Testament regularly calls believers brothers and sisters. And God is regularly in the New Testament described as our Father. This is a clear picture of the church living in their identity as family. I'm not talking about just church family. It's not just the people that they hung out with on Sunday morning for an hour, hour and a half of their day. This is a clear picture of the church living in their identity uh, as family. And if we really are family, like they were family, then when there is a need that arises in the family, then we all chip in together to make sure that the family is taken care of. In this case, the family was out of town. They didn't even know some of these family members, but that didn't matter to them. The church, as each person was able, gave to meet the growing needs of those family members who were hard hit because of the famine. Now, I love this part of this as well. 
Paul says later when he's writing to the Corinthians about this very um, gift and giving, uh, he, 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 he writes to them and says that uh, what he sees is an amazing picture of God's grace because there were some in the family who were giving and they weren't giving from their overflow or abundance. And I think if we're honest, that's where we usually give from. We give from our uh, abundance. We give what, from what we have left over. But, but these that Paul is writing about as a picture of God's grace, they weren't giving from their extra. Rather, they were giving from their poverty. And what Paul told them was, you guys are so poor, we should be giving to help you. Hold on to your money. Don't give. Don't send this. Take care of yourself. And those who were living in poverty said, Paul, don't deny us of this opportunity. And joyfully, they gave from their poverty to meet the needs of others who were in need. Sacrificially. Because that's what family does. They were living in their identity as family. So the, the first church, right? Living in their gospel identity as missionaries. Jesus said, you're a missionary. They said, okay, we're going to live like missionaries. Jesus said, you're family, right? God is your father and you are brothers and sisters because of the work of Christ. Now they are living as family. Their third, their third identity that we see them living out. If you are a regular here at New City, you know it. What is it? Servant. They're servants, verse 30. The, the church as a whole took up this money to meet the needs of those hurt by the famine, and they sent it to them, verse 30 says, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Now, if you flip over uh, to the next chapter, chapter 12, verse 25, it says, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their what? Service bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Saul and Barnabas, leaders in the church, served the church. In fact, they served many churches uh, by serving in the way that they did, in, in, in locations in Jerusalem and Judea, and from all of those churches that had taken up the collection. They served them all. Here, to me, is what is, is, is so beautiful about that. We, we, we're talking about... Saul, right? Saul was a, a, an incredible guy. Saul, one of my heroes in the Bible, really is. Incredible guy. Saul did so much. Saul was a Pharisee before he became a believer. He was rising in the ranks of being a Pharisee. Saul knew the Old Testament. Saul knew the law. Now Saul knew, Saul knew Jesus. He had met with Jesus on the Damascus Road. Jesus spent time teaching Saul. So here is Saul. He is now a leader in the church, one of the most knowledgeable men who, who was in the church, helping to lead the church. Saul, who wrote most of our New Testament, and, and, and Saul doesn't say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, I know this needs to be done, but that's not my job. Saul doesn't say, I am too important to be taking this money to another church. I should be in the pulpit, or I should be teaching somewhere, or I should be doing this or that. I'm an important guy. Jesus met with me. Paul, he doesn't say any of that. He's a servant, and there's a need, and so he just steps in and serves. 
He he served because because Jesus makes us servants. And and what servants do is they serve. And and they don't serve like it's a job, right? This is their identity. And when you were a servant in in the Bible with the words that are used for servant, it's not a job where you clock in and you clock out. It's who you are. And so you spend your entire life as a servant doing just that, serving. And that's the way it is with us in Christ. We are made servants. We are shaped into that very image of Jesus. And it's not something that we do just once a month. It's not serving only when we're on the Connect team or only on our Sunday when we're in the children's, in one of the children's classes. We are servants. And so we serve. And we serve like Saul and Barnabas. There's a need. I got it. I'll take care of it. But wait a minute, Saul. You're an important guy. No, I'm not. I'm a servant. And servants serve. And guess what was happening with the church? As the people in the church were living in these identities, as, as missionaries, as family, as, as servants, the church continued to grow. And the church was growing out and, and the, the, the boundaries were being pushed back as the church was spreading out Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. The church was growing out towards the ends of the earth and the church was growing up. They were growing up in, in maturity. They were becoming a church that lived in the identities that Jesus gives us. Missionaries, every member of the body understanding, oh, this, this great commission is passed on to each one of us. We're missionaries. Oh, we're not just people who gather together once a week. We're, we really are a family. We're a family who's going to be together forever and ever and ever and ever. And we're servants, serving as Jesus has served us. Again, the way that we say that at New City, we're a family of missionary servants. When we say that, this is what we're talking about. We're a family of missionary servants, disciples making disciples. So we have a, a, a healthy church, a glimpse at a healthy and growing church. Mature believers living out the gospel, and the gospel is continuing forward, reaching more and more and more and more and more people. And to me, I love this story. It's absolutely incredible. Um, very exciting to see. And I imagine for them, like living this would just be incredible. Like Jesus has come, he's ascended, we're, 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 we're preaching the gospel, all of these things are going on, people are believing and the gospel is growing and spreading out and the church is growing and I'm sure for those, those first church members and, and leaders, this was an incredible and exciting time. But not for everybody. For some, it came as a threat. And so what we see next in the story is that this growth of the church brings increasingly violent persecution. Increasingly violent persecution. So earlier in the story of Acts, when the church got its start in Jerusalem, um, what we saw there was the church was growing and spreading out in Jerusalem, and the Jewish leaders became very uncomfortable with that. And they felt very threatened as the church was growing. And so those Jewish leaders began to lead the persecution against the church. Now the church is growing outward even beyond Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And as it is, and it is encroaching more and more onto Roman territory, now the persecution spreads to Herod and even the government. 
working to stop the growth of the church. Chapter 12, verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent uh, hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So the gospel began in Jerusalem. Persecution is what pressed the people out from Jerusalem, scattering them into the surrounding areas. Um, that's how chapters 1 through 6 ended. We came to chapters 7 and 8, and that, that persecution began to increase uh, until it became murder, and Stephen was stoned to death. That's what pressed the gospel even further out into, um, into Samaria. It was the, the increased persecution. So now we see the same thing happening with the Romans. Romans. Herod, the Roman ruler, begins arresting and killing Christians. He starts with John's brother James, and then seeing how happy that made the Jewish people, um, he decides that he will keep doing it. So he arrests Peter, hoping that by killing Peter, he will become more popular as a ruler. He has Peter arrested, thrown into to prison. He's guarded by four squads of soldiers. Herod's plan is that after Passover, he's going to bring Peter out, show him to the Jewish people, and then have him killed. Now, I want to say this really quickly. The church that proclaims Jesus will not always be liked or appreciated. And, and as people who proclaim the gospel, this message of the gospel, we will not always be people who are appreciated. The, the, the gospel that we proclaim is an offense to many. So it should not be a surprise to us, even when we joyfully proclaim the good news with the greatest heart in the world, it, it should not be a surprise to us that sometimes people are offended by the gospel. Now, Hear me on this. If we are offensive, let it be the gospel that offends. Let me say that again. If we are offensive to the lost world, let it be the gospel that offends. Not the law. Not our rules. Not even our own personal condemnation. Not our religion. Let it be the gospel itself. This is what offended the Jews. This is what offended Herod, right? It, it was the gospel. And so offended, Herod um, and the Jews increased persecution against the church. But here's what we see next, right? As powerful as Herod is, um, our great God will not be stopped. He will not be stopped. So Peter is thrown in prison. Um, verse 5 says, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So Peter was, crept, was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. This is super important. And, and, and I want to make sure that you, you hear me on this. As the church was living out their gospel identities, who they were in Christ, family, missionaries, and servants, we get a glimpse here that they were also living in, in light of God's identity. 
who God is. They, they were living in light of that identity. When, when, when things went bad for Peter and Peter was arrested, what was it that they did? They prayed. They prayed. They, they, didn't, they didn't go and protest outside of the prison. They didn't lobby their congressman to, 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 to get him out of prison. They, they didn't start a social media campaign. Right? Praise the Lord. They, they, they didn't try to change the government. What they did was gathered to pray. Their, their first response when, 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 when things looked bad, their first response was, was to run. But it wasn't to run from the problem. It wasn't, it wasn't to run to their friends or, or somewhere else. It was to run to God in prayer. Why? Why did they do that? Did they do that because they were just better Christians? Did they do that because they were more disciplined than we are? No, they did that because they believed. They believed who God was. They, 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 they believed that God was able to change the things that they could not change. They believed that their, their father was bigger than Herod. Bigger even than Rome. What we do... And what we think, when things take an unexpectedly negative direction for us, what we think and what we do reveals what we believe about God. When we, when we run first to our friends and other people, before we run to God, it speaks volumes about the confidence that we have or don't have in Him. It speaks volumes about what we practically believe about who He is and, and how He operates. It, it reveals that functionally we are believing that God cannot or will not help us in our problem. Functionally, we are, we are believing that we are on our own. That somehow fixing what's going on is up to us. And so we have to pool our resources and greatest ideas and come up with a way to solve it. Maybe we don't go to Him because we just think that we can take care of it on our own and we have no need of Him. When we turn to Him, it shows that we recognize that He is able where we are not. Shows that we believe that He is powerful where we are weak. That He is wise where we are foolish. Going to Him shows that we believe that He is near. Near to hear our prayers and near to do what only He can do. It demonstrates that we believe that God, our God, is kind and caring and compassionate. That He is indeed a good, good Father. And, and, and it shows that we believe that we are His desperate children. The church gathered and they prayed because they believed that God was all of that. And why wouldn't they believe that? Why wouldn't they believe that about God? He had sent His Son, Jesus, right? He had sent His Son, Jesus, to live the life that we can't live, the life that they can't live. 
Why would they not believe that God would hear their prayers and answer? He, he sent Jesus. Jesus came, living the life that we can't, dying the death that we deserve because of our sin. And he did all of that. The Father sent, the Son came in love. How could they not see his love and his care and that, that he wanted to do what was best for them? How could they not see it? How could they not see that in Christ, he is able to do what they could never do? Prayer for them was a demonstration of the faith that they had and who God was and what God had done. And it's a demonstration that they knew as well who they were. Desperate, weak, and needy. So guess what happens next? They gather together, and the first thing they do is gather together and pray. And what happens next is God hears their prayers. As Herod is preparing to execute Peter, the church is praying, an angel of God comes into the cell where Peter is being kept. And the angel says, Peter, get up. Put on these clothes and follow me. And as he does, the, 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 the chains on Peter are loosed. The door to, to Peter's cell that is locked swings open. And Peter simply walks out of his cell. And he does that right past the, the four squads of soldiers who were sent there to make sure that Peter didn't get out. Peter just walks past the guards. Peter would tell his friends later that he didn't even know if it was really happening or he was, he was just having a dream. He just kept going. Like, is this really happening? He just kept walking. So, so Peter goes all the way to one of the church members' houses. And, and, and there at Mary's house, many from the church had gathered and they were fervently praying for Peter. And I love, love, love this next part. One, I tell you all that every week, but I do. I love this next part. It, it, it is like it shows our humanity. I see myself in every one of these characters, right? So Peter goes to Mary's house and at Mary's house, there's the house and then there's sort of like a fence around the house with an outer gate and the outer gate is locked. And so Peter comes to the outer gate. Now listen, you got to remember, Peter is a hunted man. He has just escaped from prison. The prison guards want to know where Peter is, and they're looking for Peter. So Peter comes to Mary's house. The church is gathered there. He is, he is seeking a place of, of safety and refuge. Of course, when he gets there, the gate is locked. So he starts knocking on the gate. He starts knocking on this outer door. And, and you know how it is when you, you want to yell out, right, for somebody to hear you, but you can't yell out. Like he couldn't yell. He couldn't wake up the neighbors. He was a hunted man. So he's like whisper yelling. You know what I'm talking about? Hey! <laughs> hey, it's me. It's me, Peter. So Peter's knocking on the door. He's knocking on the gate. They hear him. They're inside praying. They hear him, and they send Rhoda. And Rhoda is the servant girl for, for this house. And so Rhoda goes out. Peter hears her, sees her come out of the house, and Peter is telling her, Hey, it's me. It's Peter. Let me in. So what does Rhoda do? She turns around and goes back in the house, right, instead of helping Peter out. And Peter's like, Rhoda, what are you doing? She goes back in the house where they're gathered and they're praying. Now, listen, the saints are praying and they're really praying hard for Peter. And they're sad and they're worried and they're crying and they're crying out to God. Rhoda comes in the room and she says, hey, listen, Peter's out there. He's at the gate. 
They keep praying. Rhoda tells them again, he's here. Peter is here. Finally, somebody stands up and says, Rhoda, would you shut up? We're praying. Nobody believes her. And, and, and so, so finally, 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 Peter's still knocking at the door. Right? Whisper yelling for somebody to come open the door. Finally, they come and open the door. Finally, somebody listens to Rhoda. Maybe Rhoda goes back out and says, Peter, they won't believe it, but I'm letting you in. Peter comes in. They're, they're thinking, like, how can it be Peter out there? We just started praying. Right? They're praying. They don't even believe God's going to deliver. How, how much is that us? Right? Like, I'm, I see myself in all of them. I see myself as Peter. Like, Rhoda, where are you going? Let me in the house. I see myself as Rhoda. Like, holy cow, Peter's here. And then turning off to run. And I'm definitely one of them in the house saying, would you shut up? We just started praying. We got work to do here. God was doing the work. God was doing the work as the people prayed. So, so Herod finds out, Herod finds out, he, 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 is, he is angry, they search for Peter, they can't find Peter, so Herod has all of the guards killed. Now God does another amazing thing, as if that wasn't enough, he has rescued Peter from Herod, now he rescues the church from Herod. We see it in verses 20 through 23, God removing Herod as a threat to the church. Verse 23 says, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. I have no idea what that one looks like. He is eaten by worms, that sounds horrible, and breathes his last. Herod's pride got the best of him and the Lord took care of Herod. God would not be stopped. And then look at verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Oh, how beautiful is that? The word of God increased and multiplied. And the word of God that, that, that Luke is writing about here, he's not talking about the word of God as in the Bible. He's talking about the word of God specifically about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about this, this great story of, of God, this great story of God redeeming his his people through Jesus. And, and, and that story grew and the story multiplied and it was told and retold and retold as the good news of Jesus continued advancing and the kingdom of God continued expanding. More and more and more were forgiven and redeemed and brought near to God. More and more and more were, were redeemed and brought near to God and brought into God's great family, the church. Isn't that an incredible story? This is the, the, the gospel advancing through the church. Beautiful story. So, so what do we do with it? What do we do as we leave this morning? What do we do with this story? Certainly, it is a beautiful story. I hope that you guys will remember it. Um, but more than just remembering the story, there, there's a few takeaways that I would like for you to leave with. And certainly the Holy Spirit has a lot more takeaways than me, but, but just a few here. One is we can have confidence in the God who will not be stopped. 
When we, when we see this story and we see what God did to continue the gospel advancing, we should leave today with a new confidence in the God who will not be stopped. We've talked about how the book of Acts is a part of God's greater story, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. God's plan from the beginning in the book of Genesis was to fill the earth with his image bearers, to expand the boundaries of the kingdom. He would be their God and they would be his people. They would love and follow him and he would love and care for them and provide for them everything that they needed right God's kingdom would be a kingdom of peace and righteousness a kingdom without suffering without without sin and without death and the the, the this story in the book of Acts shows us that God's plan it will be God's plan will be nothing and no one will stop it. Nothing and no one will stop him. Not Jewish religious leaders, not Roman governors, not kings, not presidents, not any political party, not any nation in the world can stand up against the God who has these great plans. Christianity is not dying. Christianity is not dying, and, and, and our fallen culture will never kill it, and our politicians can't kill it. Our God has a plan to fill the earth with His image bearers and, and to be our King. And let me tell you, that plan will happen. Believe that. Right? Hear this story. Go back and read this story and leave today believing, 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 believing that you can have confidence in that God because, because He will not be stopped. Do, do you know what happens when we believe that? We live like it. Right? If we, if we truly believe it, we live like it. We, we live like our God is, is, is on a mission He's invited us to be a part of it, and He will not fail at that mission. He will succeed. What confidence. Here's another one. God is growing His kingdom through the church. God is growing His kingdom through the church. Now, I, I want you to hear me on this one. Generally, generally speaking, it is God's desire to reach people through the church. Right? And God, God is, is making for Himself a kingdom. He is, he is making for Himself a kingdom that will fill the earth with His image bearers. God is, 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 is making this kingdom. He is growing this kingdom. And He is primarily doing that through His church. And so what that means is that His church should be growing. I said it. The church should be growing. I hear, I hear churches and people often say that churches today are struggling and attendance is down in churches because the world has changed and because people have become evil. Listen to me, if that's you this morning, you are wrong. You are wrong. The world we live in is no more evil, and it may be even less evil where we live than the world that they lived in. The world they lived in was evil, and yet the church was exploding in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and we're going to see to the ends of the earth. 
The, 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 the problem, the problem, the problem, the problem is not the culture. The problem is the church. The problem is not that our, our world has changed. The problem is that the church has changed. And that's us, right? I don't mean the institution of the church. I mean the, the people of the church. We've changed. Somewhere along the line, we forgot that we're family. That, that we're, we're, we're really genuinely family. We quit, we quit caring for one another. We, we quit loving one another. And we're only Sunday morning family. Or, or if we go to our missional community, then we're, we're family maybe twice a week. But that's, that's not the family that we see in the book of Acts. That's not the family that we see in the, in the first disciples as they did life with Jesus. And, and Jesus said, the world will know that you are mine by the way that you love one another. See, here's the truth. The truth is when, when the world around us, when the people around us see the love that we have for one another, when the people around us see us living as a family, sacrificing for one another, giving for one another, caring for one another, laughing with one another, loving one another, celebrating with one another, when the, when the world sees us as a family, they're going to be drawn to that. Do you know why they're going to be drawn to that? Because that's what God created us for. God created us for one another. God created us to be a family. And the truth is, believers and unbelievers alike long for family. We long for it because God created us that way. We long for one another. We long for, for a people that we can belong to and belong with. We, we, we long for a family that, that, that will care for us and that we can care for. We long for that because God has created us for that. And somewhere along the line as a church, we quit living as family. Somewhere along the lines, we've forgotten that we are missionaries. Each one of us. Right? The great commission to those first disciples is passed down to every generation of disciple after every believer after those first believers. Somewhere, somewhere along the line, we, 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 as a church, we, we, we passed off this idea of being on mission to, to specialty people. Somewhere along the line, we said, we're not missionaries. The pastor is a missionary and the staff is a missionary. We're not missionary. It's, a, it's the people who go overseas to, to foreign places. They're missionaries, but not us. Is it any wonder is it any wonder that the, the church is shrinking when we fail to live as the people God's called us to be, missionaries? And somewhere along the line, somewhere along the line, we, 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 we discarded the, the identity of servant. And church has become a place of entertainment for us. Church has become a, a place where, where we come to be filled Nothing wrong with being filled, but be a part of the filling. We, we, we come to the place where we are the most comfortable. We're not servants. We come to be served somewhere along the line. 
We, we have bought into the cultural mindset that, that, that we, we have arrived when we are served. We've made church so many things that it's not. And listen, it's really simple. It really is Simple. Live in these identities that are yours in Christ. Live as who you are in Christ. A family of missionary servants. Disciples who make disciples in everyday life. God is growing His kingdom through His church. It's not because they have church in their name and it's not because they have the greatest show and it's not because of the lights that they have. It's, it's, it's none of that. God, God is growing His kingdom through His people when they, when they live. Jesus has called us to live. When they, when they live, when we live in the identities that He has given to us. God is growing His kingdom through His church. Lastly is this, God is inviting you to be a part of this incredible story. You, you don't have to be a part of, of New City to be a part of this story. I, I want you to hear me there. God is using all kinds of churches to grow His kingdom. But you're here. Why not join us? Why not join us? Why not connect? Why not join us on the mission that God has given to His people, the mission that God has given to His church? Be a part. Serve. Be a part of an MC. You don't have to do mission alone. You don't have to serve alone. Be a part of this family. Be a part of growing the kingdom of God with us. Partner with us. Partner with us in this thing that God has called us to do. None of us are called to watch as a cheering spectator. We are called to be an active partner in God's amazing and still unfolding story. Let me leave you with this. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your patience with how forgetful we are. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be good to remind us of our, our, our identities in Christ. Encourage us and strengthen us to live in light of the gospel and to help others live in light of the gospel as well. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.